as a father, one of the, one of the biggest pressures that, that we as fathers have is, um, is providing for our families. Um, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of pressure in that. And, um, you know, today we're going to look at some things about money that hopefully will, will help with those pressures. Um, as Lindsay said, this is week seven of our series on breaking the rules. Um, this series is about rebelling against the culture's norms. Um, if we're going to uh, rebel against uh, the way the world looks at finances, then you know we, we're going to do things with our money that people look at us and go, "Man, that, that's just that's just not that's just not normal. That's just not smart to do." Um, but but those are the people that that um, that don't have the faith in in God that that we're hoping that you will you will find. Um, our key verse for this this series is is Matthew seven. 13 and 14, enter, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Our hope for you is as we travel through this, uh, being a rebel, that you, would, um, that you would take the narrow road, that you would experience life the way that God has intended for you to experience it. Um, if we're going to define what normal is in today's, today's world, it's, it's living paycheck to paycheck. It's being in debt. It's having fights with your spouse about money. It's, it's spending more than you make. I have a friend of mine that says uh, everybody's broke just at different levels. And it's, it's the American way. Spend more than you have. Uh, there's no financial plan. You always feel you always feel that you would be happier if you had more money. Um, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. And according to, to the world's views, um, my family, we lived a normal life, just like, just like a lot of you when, uh, when we talk about finances. Um, but what does God say about that? God says in Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, in today's world, people would think that's pretty weird um, because, you know, everybody likes getting stuff. Every, Father's Day today, everybody's, hopefully, Father's got a little something, whether it be your coffee brought to you or, your, for me, your Diet Mountain Dew or, or whatever it may be. Um, hopefully, you're getting, you're getting some, some perks today. Um, in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says... Uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain, which means you should be happy with what God has given you. Um, in verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Um, you know, people do crazy things for money. A uh, long time ago, I say a long time ago, a few years ago, they had fear factor. People tried, to, people tried to win money by eating ridiculously disgusting things. Um, it did help as when we had a kid, when Ethan was, was very little, he would like to play fear factor, see how fast he could eat his food, and he'd say, look, I've got it. You had to check just to make sure he finished all his food. Um, but, you know, you think of people that, 
um, that have worked with money, that have embezzled money, that have taken money that's not theirs. So people will do crazy things for money. Um, Bronson came and spoke to our basketball players, and he got one of our players to drink a Coke through a dirty sock. Not his, but somebody else's other sock that he took off his foot for $20. So people will do crazy things for money. Crazy, I know. Um, in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, says, Command those who are rich in, his present, in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is take hold of life that is truly life. Matthew 6:24 says, "No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money." Like I say, generosity is not normal. Giving away money to other people or to your church or to whoever is not normal. So if you want to be a rebel, if you want to be, rebel against the norm, then, then that, is, that is something that you should do. Um, the average American gives away 2% of their income. Now, that, that's not the average Christian gives away 2%. They don't tithe. It's not tithing 2%. Um, that just means the average American just gives away, whether it be to Girl Scouts, to the be to golf tournaments, to whatever it may be. Uh, only the Americans only give away two percent of their money. Now, as of you know, to go along with that, two percent of Christians tithe. So, to give away ten percent, which is what God says, that is completely rebelling against uh, what we're talking about here. Um, there are three types of generosity, three levels. Uh, the first one is spontaneous givers. Um, my family, we were spontaneous givers. Spontaneous givers are um, if you see a need, you try to help fill the need. Um, at Christmas, you have a needy family that we take up a collection for. You try to give. Uh, someone's house burns down. You, you give up, give money for that. Um, we, we adopted a kid uh, for the World Missions Hunger where we give money every month. You see a need and you try to fill that need. And, you know, that's where we were. And um, <clears throat> then in September of 2011, Bronson came to me. Bronson, I've known Bronson since he was a, a ninth grader in high school. And, you know, if there was anybody that was going to get voted, in, he, there should have been a senior superlative that said, you know, most likely to become a preacher. Bronson's it. Uh, Bronson is. Um, Bronson is not um, all of a sudden come upon this. He is. He has lived this way for as long as I, I've known him. Um, but Bronson came to me and he talked about planting this church, and he wanted to talk to me about possibly joining him and in helping to uh, to to do to start this church. Um, and at that point in time, we were we were members of another church here in town, and we're very happy at that church, and and really saw no point in in changing churches. So what I did is I just said, well, well, why don't you do this? We're doing a I do a character education program with our our boys basketball players. 
So why don't you come and speak once a week to our basketball players? And one, it'll give, it'll give them someone else to preach to them about doing what's right other than me. And, um, but it would also give him the opportunity to uh, maybe to, to get his name out there and maybe meet some people and, and hopefully have some, some people that would be willing to come to his church. So that was, my, that was my way of getting Bronson off my back. And, um, and to tell Bronson no if he's ever asked you anything, uh, he, he's got a gift of getting you to do things. <laughs> right here. Um, so... Um, with that being said, he, he started, he, you know, in basketball trials end in October, have the team beginning of, of November. So for November and December, once a week, Bronson came and spoke to, to our basketball players. Um, and then in January of 2012 uh, was the launch service here at, here at Synergy. And so to show Bronson our appreciation for what he had done for us, me and my family, along with probably... 25 or 30 of our basketball players and their family came to the first service. And so we were here, show Bronson, thank you, 275 people here, um, had a great service and, and um, you know, talked to everybody after service is over. And then as soon as we sat in the car, I looked at Amanda and Amanda looked at me and we're like, all right, we're changing churches. <laughs> now how are we going to figure out how we're doing this? Um, and so we knew that Synergy was the place that, that, that God wanted us to be. You know, we, we told Bronson no, but um, Bronson outprayed us, I guess. Um, and so at that point, uh, it was real easy for us to start serving. It was, you know, we came, um, I come in the mornings, we set up everything at 6, um, and uh, Amanda and the boys, they would come and they would help with the pre-service stuff, and then we would all stay and and help break down after church. And that was easy to do. That doesn't cost anything. That doesn't take any money out of my pocket to come help. Um, and so um, we did that. That was, that was easy. Um, we were still, at that point, we were still spontaneous givers. We had never tithed in church before. I mean, I've gone to church my whole life. But, and it was real easy when I was, when I was making you know, two hundred dollars when I was when I was painting in the summers when I was a kid, and I had everything I wanted to give twenty dollars. That's that's real easy. But when you get older and you make more money, it's harder to turn loose more money. Um, and so um, we continued to do that. Um, we continued to just give what we had left. Like I said, we were we were normal. We lived paycheck to paycheck. We Amanda worked full time. I worked full time, and I paint on the side. And so then there was still very little left at the end of the month. So to think of giving 10% of your money, you know, we, we didn't even think to do that kind of stuff. We had credit card debt. We had a big house payment. We had student loans. We had all those things that, that a lot of people have. And, um, but we were, still, we were still just giving what we could. And, you know, if you're a spontaneous giver, it's not necessarily a terrible thing. But what you're doing is, is you're missing out... You're missing out on the opportunity to bless others, but you're also missing out on the opportunity that God will bless you for giving to others. So the next level of generosity is strategic giver. Now, a strategic giver is someone who, who plans what they're going to give. You know, God says give 10%, but you budget a percentage of whatever you're going to give. If you're a business, you, you know at the very beginning of your month or your year how much you have to give away. 
And, and so for the Christian, 10% is what you're supposed to give. Um, so in January of 2013, a year after we had been at Synergy, uh, we felt the calling to, to start tithing. And, um, you know, our questions were, well, how are we going to still pay our bills? How are we going to still save any money? How are we going to be able to go out to eat when anyone calls and say, hey, you want to go out to eat? Sure, let's go. Um, how are we going to be able to do those things and still, and still give 10% of all that we make? Um, and so these were questions that probably most anybody has. Um, but uh, if we want to have a true relationship with God, that's, that's something we need to do. It's real easy it's real easy to go by the Ten Commandments that says don't kill, don't steal, don't do all those things. That's easy for Christians. But when he says give 10%, we like, to, we like to forget that part a lot of times. And I'm there. I've been there. Um, but in Malachi 3.10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be, may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that you will not have room enough for it. So that is what we did. So we decided that we were going to give 10% at the end of January. So as at the end of January, um, that's what we did. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a, a teacher. I'm a basketball coach. I'm a golf coach. I also have a paint business on the side. Um, with, with a fellow coach and friend of mine, Joey Alfonso, and we have one employee. And, and I say we have one employee because his name's Juan. And, and we have lots of Juan jokes. We're going to put one coat or two coats on the wall. Uh, do you have a Juan paintbrush? And, and so uh, for me standing in front of this, Ethan and Eli would be very disappointed in me if I did not make a Juan joke at this time. So um, Joey and I paint after school. We paint on holidays, we paint on weekends, um, and we paint on su- in the summers. Uh, Juan paints when we're at school. At school. And so he kind of keeps things going during the day, and then, uh, and then we come in after school and do those types of things and try to help him tie things up a lot of times. Um, but uh, I, I had shared with Joey that we were going to we'll start giving, we'll start tithing. Um, Joey is... Joey's my guy that I bounce stuff off of. He's a very godly man, and uh, he, he means a lot to me in, in my life. He's a, uh, a man very strong in his faith, and, uh, and he, he has no idea how much um, he's meant to me in my life, in my Christian life. Um, and so I'd shared with Joey about us tithing. And so um, then the paint, the paint bid started coming in, the... Um, the estimates, the calls to have estimates started coming in, and it was crazy. I mean, we'd never seen this type of, this type of business before in, in our time together. We've been together for about almost 10 years now, and we'd never had this type of activity with, with our painting business. Um, and so uh, I remember one day we were in the office, and Joey says, uh, Joey says I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what, what all you're doing, um, but I, I know you're tithing. Keep it up, <laughs> he said. He says because because uh, God is showing you a lot of favors, and I get to be with you to to reap some benefits of it. And um, and he, he also pretty much blamed me for the last eight years because <laughs> because he guessed it was me that, that that was causing us not to be able to make any money the previous times. 
Um, so, um, so at that, we, we, were, we were giving. Um, and so every two weeks when Amanda got paid, we tithed. Every month when I got paid, we tithed. Every paint check that we got, we tithed. Um, and so we had moved from strategic givers, and we had moved into um, to be strategic. Um, we moved from um, spontaneous givers, and now we were um, strategic givers. Um, and now the third level of generosity is sacrificial givers. Um, and this is lifestyle-based. Uh, you intentionally live below your means so that you can give more away. Uh, in Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out, their wealth, gave, gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So, in November of that same year, after we'd, we'd tithed for, for 10 months, um, we decided we're going to put our house on the market. Um, now, understand that this house was uh, built in 2007, 2008 when, when the real estate market was still good, when there was a real estate market. Um, and so, like most people, we were underwater on the house that we built. Um, you also have to realize that my wife built this house. She got the permits. She got the lined up the subs. Um, she did all the loan stuff with the bankers. She did um, everything that had to be done in that house. She, made, she figured out the floor plans. She made all the adjustments. Every decision that was made in that house, she made it. And I said, yes, dear. Um, and so this was it. This was our forever house. I mean, this was the one that we were going to stay in. This, we've been in Winder now for 13 years, and we just sold our house. We're renting the house, and this is house number six for us in 13 years. So a lot of people paint and have yard sales, but we just move. We just go to a different house. Um, and so, you know, this was it. This was our 4,000-plus square foot house with a master closet that someone could live in. Um, we had, um, had a pool in the backyard. Where, where the kids from the neighborhood could come and, and they would go swim and then they'd go to somebody else's house and they'd get hot then they'd come back and they'd swim and then they'd go to somebody else's house and you know it was just it was a great thing um, our kids could leave at sun up and come home at sun, sundown and somebody had probably fed them lunch um, and, and didn't mind doing that and so we, we had what we thought was forever um, and so that's where we were, and, uh, and then we decided we're going to sell the house, and we didn't want to live paycheck to paycheck. Um, I actually want to stop painting at some point in time because uh, I'm getting too old to climb up down all those ladders. Um, and so when it came time to, to put the house on the market, uh, I had a lot of doubts. You know, I was all for selling the house because... Uh, I knew how much of a strain it put on us 
uh, me personally, uh, how much strain it put on me uh, to have that big mortgage payment. And so, um, I mean, I even made this, I made this statement that there's nobody going to buy our house for what we have in it. And Amanda said, she's the one with all the faith in our family. <laughs> she should be up here doing this sermon, but if you know her, you know that that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> She gave me plenty of criticism on my, on, my, on my sermon, though, just so you know that. So if you don't like something, she probably put it out there anyway. <laughs> Blame her. I just presented it wrong, or probably. Um, and so I had my doubts that, you know, that, that this house could get sold. And then for us to be able to get out of it what, what we needed to with the amount of foreclosures and stuff that was in our neighborhood... I don't even think that the appraisal, I didn't even think the appraisal would come back high enough for them to borrow any money. And so we knew that somebody was going to put down a large amount of cash for us to be able to even get out from under our house. Um, And so uh, I told Amanda that, and and she's like, well, we're we're going to do it. And I said, that's fine. I'm good with that. But don't get your feelings hurt when it doesn't happen. And uh, let's don't be impatient about it. So... Good thing we weren't impatient about it. Four months, four months went by. Not one person called. The only person that even came and looked at our house was our nosy neighbor that came across the street when the real estate agent was there taking pictures and he just wanted to walk through the house because he'd never been in there. Um, and so we had nothing. No one had called, no one had rode by, no one had done anything uh, for four months. And so we got a phone call end of February. Someone wanted to look at our house. They probably ain't going to want it. They're going to come look at it, and then they're going to leave. So they came. They looked at it. They made an offer. One person, one offer. And we're like, oh. So we had to do some finagling back around, do some debating um, with them. And we ended up, after some talk back and forth, we came up and had a contract on our house. So at that point... Doubter here said, there's no way they'll ever get a loan for, for this house. For the amount of money that we agreed for them to pay, there's no way they'll ever get a loan. Um, because we had, actually, we had actually gone and, you know, when you, when you have, when you put your house on the market to figure out how much you're going to sell your house for, they run comps on it and do all that, and, and they determine what your house is worth. Well, our house was not near, worth near as much as what we, what we listed it for and what we got it, what we sold it for. And so we're thinking, I'm thinking, I say we, um, I'm thinking, ain't no way. Ain't no way that they're going to be able to, 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 to get a loan for this house. And so um, after talking to our real estate agent, they were going to go through doing appraisal. Well, God had already worked on that too. He sent us one person to look at our house. He also sent that one person with enough money that he could pay complete cash for our house. Not one appraisal, not nothing. They wrote one check, was done. And people say it's lucky, people say it's whatever it is, but it's God to me. That's, that's, it's God. And so now, um, on April 22nd, we sold our house. We're out from under that big house, and uh, we're renting a house for now. That is half the size of that original house, and, and we all get along just fine in that little old house. And 
we really like that little house, and we even like more the little amount of money we had to pay for that house. Um, and so, so what we're working toward now is that third level, to be sacrificial givers. We want to, we want to sell our house so we could do more, and we want to do more for this church. We want to do more for our community. We want to do more for others. So um, that's, that's where we are. That's where we are right now. We've sold that house, and, and um, we're in the process of, of doing something else. But we're not, going to, uh, we're not going to put ourselves being what I call house broke. Um, we're, not going to, we're not going to put all of our money in a house and have to, have to worry about making ends meet every month. And we're going we're gonna to rebel against that. Um, now, some of the benefits for being generous. Um, you know, in Luke 6, 38 says, give, it, <clears throat> give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, I'm not saying that if you give $100, you're going to get $100 back. I'm not saying that um, whatever you give financially, you're going to be able to get that money back. I'm not saying if you start tithing, your business is going to start going great. I'm not saying that because that may not be the way it is. But you're going to get, you're going to get returned and you're going to get blessed, whether it be in your, your marriage, where it is your spirituality, whether it is your uh, being emotionally um, happy, whether it's not worrying about where the next paycheck is going to come from, whatever it may be, you're going to be blessed because, because you've trusted God with your 10%, and, and God's going to give that back to you. Um, God obviously cares more about our hearts than he does our bank accounts. And... Um, and giving generously, it'll change you. It'll, it'll keep you from being a, a um, it'll keep you worried about your, keep you from worrying about all your possessions and what you have. And, and you'll be freed up to, to be, be very giving and be very, very happy. And, uh, and, you know, and it makes you more like him. I mean, if your goal is to be more like God, then God gave a lot. And, uh, and so should we. Um, Anybody that's known me for, for any, any amount of time knows that um, there's a Jerry Clower joke that can go with about anything. And, um, and so in closing, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my, my Jerry Clower joke. Um, it's, not, it's not as much a joke as it is a, just a statement about life. Anybody that knows uh, anything about Jerry Clower, he was a Christian comedian um, from way back. Um, Nobody on the front row knows anything about Jerry Clower, except maybe Butch. Um, but Jerry Clower was the one that he had that good, clean humor, the kind you let the family listen to. And so, so we, we, we listened to Jerry Clower. And, um, and somebody asked Jerry one time, he said, uh, you know, Jerry, you're always talking about God and talking about how good God is to you. And he said, um, you know, why, why do you think God gave you so much? He said, well, he said, I'll never forget my first job. My first job, I made $238. He said, and you know what I was able to do with that $238? 
They said, what? He said, I was able to give $23.80 to my church. And he was very proud of that. And he said that, that when God gave me a little, I did what I was supposed to with it. And now God trusts me with a lot. And so I hope that, uh, that you start, and if you're not, I hope you start giving. I hope you start uh, receiving the blessing that God it, has in store for you through, through your giving and, uh, and through, your, um, through your time and your efforts. So, um, so, so thank you for being here, and, uh, and God bless you.